Pugh takes up position in the middle. Macario on her right, bends it into the... Golazo! Oh my goodness! Katarina Macario, take a bow! Welcome to another episode of Diaspora United. I am Andre Carlisle. I survived a slight dragging from Portland fans today. Uh, we're going to get into it. I'm here with my co-host, Courtney. Courtney, how are you doing? I was not expecting that. I was not ready. <laughs> <laughs> I am not ready. Um, I'm all right. Busy as ever, per usual, but you know, just hanging on in here. It's uh, officially Melanated March. I don't know if Fact. you guys saw our tweet, but it's a um, Black History Month is actually Black History Year. We claim it that way, and we're just gonna have you know a good old name for every next month. So it's officially Melanated March. We don't, Black History is forever, so we gonna celebrate it forever. And we got actually a special, uh, fun thing to do in the second half of this episode. But before we get into all that, we got some news and notes coming up first, and we're gonna talk about the U.S. Women's National Team settlement and all kinds of other things. But because last week we had Katarina Macario going bonkers and and the babies going bonkers, we had to talk about that and we didn't did to follow our typical format. So we're going to get back to it and read a review. We appreciate when you guys leave reviews for the podcast. Give us five stars if you listen to an app that allows you to review um, or rate. And, you know, we really appreciate that. It really does help spread the word, helps the podcast get more popular, more people to listen and all of that builds a community around it, which is what we try to do. Uh, and spread the good word, the gospel of Black uh, women soccer players, including very one very special one we can't wait to talk about. Y'all's minds are going to be blown. But let me read a review on the podcast. This one is from Daniel Bartolini. The title of it is Cat Macario and Mint Chip Ice Cream. <laughs> Listen, Sky, Shea Butter, y'all got us in this. All right, so here it is. So slanderous opinions about mint chip ice cream aside, this is an indispensable show that critically examines important topics and gives love to some of the best in the game. See the recent love for Cat Macario and the great discussion around the shift in U.S. Women's National Team tactics with a new generation of talent regarding the hostile takes on mint chip ice cream in the words of the host themselves, how dare you? <laughs> that was from me. I'm sorry, y'all. I, I Here's the thing. I'm not. First of all, thank you for your review. Appreciate it. I got to address the mint chocolate chip thing, though. First of all, I'm not a big ice cream person. What? But then, correct. Yes, correct. I got very sensitive teeth. Don't make fun of me. All right. It's been a, it's okay, been a problem. That's fair. My whole life. I mean, I thought you were just <laughs> going to say you don't didn't like like the flavor of ice cream. And I was like, Andre, I don't I don't know how this podcast will survive given <laughs> ice cream. I probably eat it. I'm not going to say how many times a week. <laughs> <laughs> no, like I, I don't have any beef with it. It's good when I can have it. It's just that I, I don't have it consistently because it is a bit of a struggle. It's, it's not as enjoyable as it could be. However, one of the flavors I like the least is mint because mint just reminds me of toothpaste. And I know Sky, I, I said it on Twitter. Sky said it. She said something about uh, Aquafresh <laughs> ice cream. It's just like, I don't know. Mint just doesn't do it for me. It's it's not a flavor I want in a dessert. 
Very sorry to tell you, but I do like mint ice cream. I mean, to be fair, I don't discriminate truly against any ice cream unless it has gluten in it, which means please get it as far away from me as possible. Um, no, I actually... But what's your favorite? It's like mint, your favorite? Because the people that were in like... The people were going hard for mint, and I was confused. I was like, I... Okay. Well, so maybe we'll have to get into this in another episode. But so my actual favorite ice cream f- flavor, which I know people are going to tweet about me or tweet about it about 95 times tomorrow, is banana. But it's only banana from literally this one place what? that I've grown up eating it in Montclair, and it's like homemade, and it's delicious. Like it's just banana ice cream. But it's literally Ugh. only from this one place. I have not had any other good banana ice cream. So, like that's definitely my favorite flavor. But my second flav- favorite is probably like a salted caramel. Like you know, places do salted caramel differently, but if you live. In the New York area, you know um, about Van Leeuwen ice cream, which is deeply expensive. But they have one flavor called Honeycomb, which is, it doesn't taste like honey. It's like their version of basically of like a salted, it's like kind of salty caramelly, but better. It's delicious. So I would say like on a grand scheme, that's probably my favorite flavor of ice cream since my banana ice cream is only a place that I get in Montclair. And I will not accept any other type of banana ice cream. But that one... It's fantastic, but they also do like it's not artisanal ice cream at all because they've literally been around since like <laughs> probably the early 1900s. I'm not joking, but they just do like certain flavors really, really well, uh, which is why I love their banana ice cream. It's phenomenal. I won't take any slander of it because you you want to know why I won't take any slander of it because none of y'all have tried it. You have not tried Applegate's banana ice cream. Refuse any slander of that. But yeah, I would say on a whole, probably it's honeycomb from Van Leeuwen. But I also love being basic and just getting like vanilla with rainbow sprinkles. Soft serve edition. There's something so special about vanilla soft serve covered in rainbow sprinkles. Like Mr. Soft Eats ice cream truck, hot summer day. It's fantastic. I did not expect this thorough of a breakdown. (laughs) I'm serious about banana. I see that you (laughs) are very serious about about your ice cream. I did not realize this was going to (laughs) happen. This is hilarious. This is one of the, a lot of people know, I have very serious, unserious opinions. Like I have very serious opinions about things that really like don't matter in the grand scheme of things. (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) Yeah, didn't expect to get here, but we are going to move on. Uh, We're going to do some news and notes and hit on some things that we missed uh, last week when we were going bonkers about cat. Um, so, uh, Courtney, do you want to, I guess, pick a topic and uh, let's go? Well, I just want to start off the top that uh, this past February has been especially anti-black. We all know it, but I just want to repeat that it's been especially anti-black. Uh, but one thing that I want to talk about, Andre, and I feel like this is something that, you know, we've had some time to ruminate on, but it's the... you. It's the settlement between the U.S. Women's National Team and U.S. Soccer, which dropped on what's effectively known as Tuesday, uh, the second, or sorry, the twenty-second of February in twenty twenty-two. It's a palindrome if you if you write it the right way. Uh, but yeah, that's that settlement dropped, and I feel like there was a lot of excitement about it, which I fully understand. You know, um, it's I don't even know how many years it's been in the making since what twenty. 2015, 2016, 2017, that EEOC uh, complaint that, or that, yeah, that EEOC uh, complaint that they filed, like, this has been a very, it's been very, very long in the making, really. Um, And obviously, there was a lot of excitement about it. I saw a lot of tweets from people that don't normally tweet about women's soccer. Um, But I think the one thing 
that is still sticking with me more than anything else, not including that podcast that we're going to talk about later, um, is that it's still con- contingent on the ratification of a new CBA, which I'm semi-confident will happen. I feel like it'd be quite foolish for U.S. soccer to come out, like, you know, announce the news of this settlement without being relatively confident that they're going to pass a CBA, uh, a new CBA. But yeah, so actually I can break down, um, Andre, why, why don't you tell me how you feel about it off the top and I can break down some of the little, the nice little notes going along or the intricacies of this settlement. Yeah, so uh, that was kind of wild. I've this that, as you mentioned, that lawsuit has been just hanging around for such a long time. Um, the course of it got Carlos Cordero, who is apparently running for re-election again. Uh, had him resign in disgrace after his loyalty, his legal team um, went out and basically said, you know, their whole tactic was admit that you're not as good as men. And <laughs> in this lawsuit, it was like, what? That's really that's what y'all gonna do? Um, so that was absolutely ridiculous. I think for me, what I imme- immediately thought back to was watching the documentary the the U.S. Women's National Team players put out, um, LFG. I think it it just it did a good job. I didn't really get do like put into a whole lot of specifics, you know, into like details of of negotiations and all of that, which is probably a smart thing. But I think the purpose of that was really to show how draining this whole process is. Like these are just players who want to play soccer and be fairly compensated for it and be treated like the professionals that they are. And in order to do that, they had to just endure exhausting things, phone calls, meetings, briefings, and in the middle of, oh, training and trying to get yourself in shape to play in a World Cup and win a World Cup, which they did, which is still one of the craziest things I've seen. But just just the level of uh, just the amount of emotional and physical labor it took from them. And so I, I think it was really good that so, so I, I thought about all of that. And I just I just had to be happy, right? I had to be thankful that that they got to a point where the players felt like they could agree to this. Um, I, I trust who is in the negotiating rooms and I'm with Courtney, the, the contingency on the CBA is the, the key right now. Cause that's the thing that triggers all of this to go into effect. But I have to believe that for me, the pressure is not on the players to accept the CBA pressures on us soccer to pre- present something that they can accept. Um, especially if they continue to want to have this settlement be viewed as a positive thing. If you have the settlement agreed to and you can't agree to a CBA, you look foolish um, from the from the uh, federation side. So those are kind of my initial thoughts on it. But yeah, there there are details in there that I think are worth discussing as well. Yeah, so some of the details. Um, so this really did start uh, in 2016 uh, when basically the group filed a complaint with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. That's what EEOC stands for um really from then then it, then obviously we all know in 2019 that's when they in the lead up to the 2019 world cup that's when they decided to sue u.s soccer uh we all know what happened in 2019 winning their fourth world cup and second consecutive world cup and obviously during not only in france but coming back in that ticker tape parade in new york city we heard equal pay chance ring out all around, just all around in New York City, uh, actually hilariously <laughs> drowning out 
Carlos Cordero when he was trying to give a speech. Um, obviously, we know, uh, just to give kind of a little bit of perspective, we knew that in actually February of 2020 we saw the horrific details come out of what U.S. soccer's lawyers were arguing um, basically saying that women were inferior to men like that's the base of it if you want more details literally go google it deeply infuriating Um, but that actually happened in the She Believes Cup and then a few moments like then truly a few weeks later COVID happened like that's just like kind of crazy perspective (laughs) Like when I think back on that, I'm like, holy moly, look what all we've been through. Uh, but the de- some of the details of the settlement, it is a $24 million sell- settlement, 22 of which will go to the players behind the suit. Um, and obviously this, you know, this one huge praise from, all, you know, a lot of people, Biden, for example, um, was tweeting about a lot of prominent people in sports. The players in, in the lawsuit will... Sp- Split $22 million, which is about one third of what they had sought in damages. Um, but we also know, and this was actually some really good perspective that I got from Meg Linehan's podcast, um, that U.S. soccer, because of COVID, U.S. soccer took a huge financial hit. And um, basically the money they were sitting on went from $120 million down to $44 million or around $40 million. Um, and so even though they're seeking 66, 22 out of four, anywhere from, you know, 40 to 44 that's a significant portion um and also as a part of this uh u.s soccer federation agreed to establish a fund with two million dollars to benefit the players in their post soccer careers and charitable efforts aimed at growing the sport for women uh u.s the u.s soccer federation ussf committed to providing an equal rate of pay for the women and men's national teams including world cup bonuses which of course is all contingent on collective bargaining agreements um and the last part of this also is that within this 22 million dollars the players did in fact win back pay so one of their big arguments was that if they had been playing under the men's cba um they would have like earned so much more money instead of the CBA that they had uh, currently bargained with. So yeah, that's some of the, uh, some of the little details coming out of this settlement. Yeah, I think it's, it is important. And and I think on these things, it's important to follow the right players lead on this. We know who has been involved with this from the beginning. We know who's been deeply involved with it as well. Um, And I think it is important to, you know, listen to the players um, and and follow their lead. You know, they were, you know, when it was, it was announced very early and already some of them, you know, were, were being interviewed, which, 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 if we have to say one thing, we have to say, y'all couldn't find no black players to interview. Look, we all knew it was going to happen. It happens over and over again. I don't know how many times we've shouted. I'm literally seeing my audio waves right now and I'm shouting. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but it is one thing that we have seen so many times just the complete and utter erasure of black women um and very much women of color on the team and specifically this one that really i think makes me more tight than anything else is the erasure of christian yeah correct that even you know in the in the lfg movie um that or documentary that was that was put out you could see how involved she was and you could also see how she was there for the team as well. like she was there as a business person in negotiations, but also she was there to kind of keep the the team 
mentally strong and together. A lot of players leaned on her. There was that great exchange between her and Megan Rapino, who Rapinoe's kind of confiding in her, talking about her, how she just wants to tackle everything. And Press is telling her, like, you know, you have to take time for yourself and, you know, just making sure that she can be in the right mind frame and mindset to be as effective as she needs to be. And it's just like you can see in just those little snippets the role that Kristen Press plays and how important she is. And it was wild. Well, not wild because it was expected, but it was annoying to see that nobody thought to speak with her or any of the black players on the team. Like Crystal Dunn. Like I think even um, wh- who was it that said um, that said even like Crystal Dunn is in like CBA negotiations right now. Uh, I think I'm it like, might have been Sam Mewis, if I'm remembering correctly. Yes. Yeah, and I was just like, like these players are so involved. Why aren't you speaking to them as well? It's so annoying that the pain that they and this is this is a problem as well. This is one of the reasons why we have so much beef with U.S. soccer as a federation, as a staff, label, and crew because this is what they do, and other places, other outlets follow their lead and they act like these are the stars of the team because they are white faces and not not. I mean, look at everything that Megan Rapinoe had to do to become basically a pariah, and they still choose her over. And, and this is nothing against Megan Rapinoe because I love Pino, but. They still choose her over black women on the team because she's still, they believe, more palatable, more famous, whatever it is. And it's just, it's it's a, it like, it's annoying and the shit got to stop. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> it's like, you know how sometimes like you enjoy being right, being like, I called it. Like when we were like, Cat is legit. And people were like, no. And then we saw her playing She Believes. We were like, <laughs> yeah, like we've, we know. <laughs> nice. uh, but this is like one of the frustrating things when you're right about something like you see this huge lawsuit, you know, who's going to, for example, go on good morning, America's CBS news, AB, like ABC news, NBC. And we know it's going to be all the same people, even if those people weren't necessarily, and not saying, you know, obviously I don't know the nitty gritty of what everyone has done in and out of every day, but we know who's also really been doing the work and often doing the work in the background, not getting the light they deserve. I mean, how many, <laughs> how many truly like social movements in this country have come off the backs of black women? Like truly, so many of them. And this is just a, it's another example, and it's so frustrating. But yeah, and now that I have officially gotten the facts, I want to double check my sources. You know, I really like getting things right because when I don't, people will tweet at me on Twitter. Um, just to confirm that the U.S. soccer's financial reserves did take an absolutely massive hit from 100 because of covid from 120 million to 40 million which i have no idea if 22 million or sorry 24 million was always the proposed number but also it could be potentially why it was maybe a much smaller number um than what they were looking for in that original 66 million but andre i know you brought up who we were or which players got the limelight and for what reason but Alex Morgan and Meg Rapino also were brought up in other people's mouths. Can you tell us what happened? Honestly, I can't because <laughs> <laughs> I refuse to to listen. Um, so you'll have to let the people know the specifics. But there are two players who um, I am not going to name them by name. Uh, they apparently, well, one of them apparently has a has a podcast agreement now with um, Sirius XM, which I just thought they did satellite radio. I didn't realize they're in the podcast business. Um, and their first guest was the other player who I will not name, and they had opinions 
and thoughts that are annoying and stupid. And Hope Solo has her, damn it, I said her name, uh, <laughs> has her own uh, lawsuit against U.S. soccer. I have no idea what the status of that is, but clearly separated from that just because that's a thing that she does. Um, and yeah, I, yeah, yeah, your turn. So I also did not listen to said podcast because I said, hmm, I'm already frustrated about a whole bunch of other things today. Let me not listen to this today. Gonna try to protect my mentals as much as I can. Um, but there was a snippet floating around social media uh, where basically the two players were talking about the culture of the team and how the culture has changed. Now, they didn't really like going to camp, you know, obviously because they love training and playing soccer, but, you know, just the culture of the team has changed. And it's like, hmm, what big change has happened since 2016 to now when it comes to the players that are currently on the national team? Uh, Well, let's see, they're a whole lot blacker and a whole lot gayer. So, I mean, talk about culture shifts. Like, we love that culture. Obviously, we don't know about what the culture is actually like behind closed doors. Um, but at least from, you know, what players have said, they say that the culture is a lot more open. People are, allow- are allowed to be themselves a lot more. So, Andre, what really could be so bad about that culture? Yeah, and the, I think the thing that really, like, I mean, a lot of it bothered me. And it was just such a stupid thing to have them on there talking about. And I think it really says something that her you know, first guest there was the other one who shall not be named. I'm having a hard time doing this without yeah. naming them. Two Voldemorts. Uh, yeah, right. So, <laughs> like, it is frustrating. But I think the the thing that really stood out to me was, like, you know, in reading what people were, were kind of the recap of what people were saying about it. Um, and I was, because, again, I refused to listen. It was just like, yo, if you've been miserable since 2016, we've been trying to get you to leave ever since. Like, you could have gone. Like, if you were that sad about it, then why? Scoot, get out. Like, what were you there for? Just being sad, playing soccer. Sad soccer girl. Go. Go home. We didn't need you. So, like, that's a, that was one of the things that was so frustrating. And, and you know, mo- moving it back to, like, you know, uh, looking at exactly, like, the culture. Claire Watkins um, does great work, great writing, great reporting as well, um, at Scout Ripley on Twitter, if you don't follow, um, posted a quote um, about what Megan Rapino said about the culture of the team before the Tokyo Olympics. And she said, quote, I think we value people's individuality more. I think we allow people to be their full selves. Sports in this one sense are the beacon of progress, but the actual environments are 1,000 years behind. So I think if we're continuing to evolve that fight for our worth, and fighting to allow each and every one of us to be a whole human being in this environment, I'm really proud of that. So if that's where Pino's coming from, from the culture, that is so much more inclusive language than what you heard from the other two. And you understand exactly that divide and why they stood out. And the reasons they stood out are their own nonsense and bullshit. Truly 100%. I mean, like it's, and it's so funny talking about culture because, or quote unquote culture, because I know and I mean, this has happened probably since, let's call it the dawn of time, um, that especially when it comes to the U.S. women's national team, they always talk about mentality, mentality, mentality. You know, like the reason why the U.S. wins is because of their mentality. All this stuff, you know, X, Y, Z. And we've said it over and over, that mentality is still there, just looks different. It looks like Sophia Smith stepping over Wendy Renard. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it looks like. It looks like... 
<laughs> I mean, not saying that other bangers have not been scored in the past, but like, <laughs> it looks like May, uh, like Midge just partially saucing people for fun, but like, or Cat just honestly being low key ridiculous and just scoring Golasos because she can. Like, that mentality is still there. Is one just a, I can't like a lot more fun to watch. Like the players are just a lot more skillful and creative and like. Like that mentality is still there. It just it looks different. You know what I thought one of the funniest things was is is the reaction to basically being dragged about the culture comment. Because <laughs> then you know, and first of all, in Instagram comments, somebody was defending themselves without actually <laughs> saying exactly what they were talking about. Just saying, "Oh, you don't know me. You don't know my life. You don't know what I'm saying." And it's like, well, then say something. You're the one who spoke. You use the words. You have a platform. You both speak and you type. How can you not communicate with both mediums in a clear and concise way? It's like you have the opportunity to do so anytime you want. So please enlighten us. And then later on, a quote from Bill Walsh was posted. You know, y'all, Bill Walsh was a National Football League coach and I believe he died in like 2007. And he's not like one of those coaches like John Wooden or whatever in like, in like, men, like men's sports or whatever that people quote a lot. I just thought it was hilarious that it seemed like her PR person or somebody, an agent or somebody was just like, we got to find a quote to get you out of this. We got to find something so you can post this because I don't know what you were really saying, but really people are like going at you and they're really saying, you know, it really sounded like a massive dog whistle. It was more like a train whistle because everybody heard it. And it was like, (laughs) it was like they had to try and find something. And the fact that they put like, I promise you, I promise you. I do not know when the last time was I saw somebody post a Bill Walsh quote, but I can't, I don't believe it was this millennia. I seriously don't. Like, I don't understand where, where that came Why from. Why them to the millennia? <laughs> I mean, I, I just, I honestly, it was one of the funniest things. I'm like, oh, this is where you're going with it? You're going to pull out a Bill Walsh quote out of nowhere, especially, and the funniest thing was the quote more so aligns with what Megan Rapino was talking about, not what they were talking about. So it's just like, you don't know what you're doing right now. You're just saying stuff because you're hurt and you refuse to be introspective and look at yourself. And you've been like that ever since we've known you. Yeah, it's just, um, it's something that I coined back when I was working at CNBC to describe certain people. It's called big, stupid energy. (laughs) (laughs) And that's really what's going on here. Just a lot of big, stupid energy. But, you know, Andre... Is there anything else you want to add about this foolishness or? Nah, honestly, I didn't even want to give them any time. And I'm mad at myself that I, I, I said I wasn't going to say the names. I said one name, but, you know, I'm, I'm mad at myself about that. But yeah, let, let's move on and not give them any more space on the pod. Goodbye to two Voldemorts. Expecto Peace. Patronum. I don't even know if that makes sense, but that's the one thing of Harry Potter I can think about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm on one today. Uh, someone else who was on one, uh, besides... Uh, Chloe Lacasse trying to dive in the Arnold Clark cup that he believes cup. We did talk about that last time, and I think about it every day. I'm very sorry, but that was literally such a terrible dive. It was so bad. Also, you were through on goal. <laughs> like, why did Yo, you do this so, to yourself? This is the thing. And I, I, deleted, so I, I deleted so many tweets about this because I was like, I don't want to get too serious on the timeline. Like, I just want to have fun and enjoy this, but I'm... T- that is one of my pet peeves when you are an attacking player and you you won, you beat, you have the 1v1, you have the position, you have the space, you have the ball. 
complete the move. You don't need to dive in that moment because you won. Then the way that she fell was just hilarious to me. Like it made no sense. Do you want to know what I call it? And I'm, I'm very sorry if this uh, spirit people get mad at us, but I call it the, um, the Kelly O'Hara sploot. and it's literally because kelly o'hara we all know she has no ligaments left in her ankles just not a single one so she face plants every time she falls but also her arms go up in the air and she kind of waves them like she just don't care and she face plants (laughs) and i call it the kelly o'hara sploot it was very much like that except when kelly falls i feel like she falls hard like this was like a slow, like like this was graceful almost. She just kind of like f- floated to the ground with her arms out. It was like what? Are, nothing makes you fall like that. Like it's like her body immediately became made of feathers, and she just floated to the ground. It was one of the most ridiculous things I've seen, and I won't. Re- I won't. I'm like you. I won't forget it. What in part because I'm mad about it, but the other part of it is it was hilarious. <laughs> Sarah falls hard. I'm. Oh, actually, she does. I'm actually. Cr- <laughs> I literally shed one tear when you said. You said <laughs> Kelly O'Hara falling hard. Absolutely hilarious. But um, some crazy's going on in the TL. Uh, what's going on with social media admins these days? Uh, we saw the we saw Barcelona doing some some crazy memes on their Twitter account this morning. Um, which also to me that meme didn't. That didn't really make any sense because I feel like people like people rate all of Barcelona's players. I don't know. Foolishness. Um, but also, if y'all don't remember that uh, the tweet we shall not name, but called the next Brexit talking about <laughs> Wolfsburg versus Arsenal coming up in uh, the Women's Champions League. Also, some foolishness. Now, I am super here for, for this is like one of the best things about the culture around women's soccer is that admins go hard. And I absolutely love it. The one thing, and actually I was going to say the one thing I don't love is when they delete, but I also don't know if I don't like, I also think maybe it's like a thing that we, it almost makes it exclusive. Like if you saw it, you got to like enjoy all the other people who've seen it and everybody shares it and talks about it and then it's gone. So you like almost have like a special moment with it. And and that was the case with that Barcelona tweet. That tweet was hilarious because they they basically and I don't I don't I don't have enough background to understand. Like I don't know who in France said this, but apparently it was a response to something. And the way I read this was France football looking at Etana Bonmati and saying that she's overrated. And then there's a France football icon. This guy like mouth agape, eyes bulging, like in ecstatic, you know, disbelief and excitement looking at uh, the same player, but this time wearing a U.S. women's national team shirt from like a, a few years ago. Uh, and the, the title is Aitana Good Morning. And it's the number 10 shirt. And they're like excited about it. The way I read it was that this is a, like France went crazy, like Lyon went went ham about being able to secure Lindsay Oran as as like one of the, the best players in the world. When And, and they look at, you know, somebody like Bon Mati and say that she's overrated. That's how I read it, and I just thought it was hilarious. I don't know if anybody else read it the same way, but I asked a few other people, and they're like, yeah, that's what I got, too. And I was like, okay, good. It's not just me reading into this, but it was amazing. And I'm actually, I can't tell whether I'm happy or 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 upset that they deleted it, but it lives on in my heart. Yeah, I was just like, 
Yeah, it's funny because I yeah I read the tweet a completely different way, but I also did not see it like <laughs> when we were contemplating, and you were like Barcelona tweeted this wild thing this morning, and I was like, huh? <laughs> so like yeah, they're just there's some wild things going on uh, by social media admins. But Andre, we also learned today about the next iteration of the WICC that will be taking place in. Drumroll, please, no drumroll, Portland, Oregon. All right. So. (laughs) Obviously, y'all know how I feel about Portland's weather. Swear (laughs) ruined my curly hair for two days. Thus, I'm not a huge fan. (laughs) All right. So did some uh, research and it was weird because there was there wasn't a whole lot of um, I heard I heard conflicting things at the time. So I was trying to figure it out, but also my point in what I said, and I'll, I'll let people know what I said in a bit, but uh, my point in what I said is that I really want, you know, this country is huge. And I really think that there are other cities and other places that could benefit, especially from like a European club tour, from having that. And I think other places can give you the attendance that you want uh, and would be looking for uh, other than Portland. I think Portland makes it very easy to accept their bid. And say, yeah, we want this. And I also saw something that, that reported that because Portland won, they also were get guaranteed to get it for the 2022 season, which I didn't know. I actually had heard that there was some bidding from other places and Portland was chosen. So I don't really know exactly what happened with that, um, how ironclad it was that they got it. But apparently they were, um, I also saw that it was part of a season ticket holder thing in Portland where they had already mentioned that they were going to have the tournament. So I Apart from that, the whole point was, and I, and I said in my tweet, was just one day I want Portland to not be viewed as the epicenter of domestic women's football in America. That got some Portland people upset. I've been told to cry more in multiple languages. I don't necessarily know why, because I was not crying. This was just me being like, I believe that other places deserve to experience this, particularly if you're going to have a tour. Tours usually go to different cities. That's like my definition of a tour. When I think of a tour, somebody's on tour, I don't believe that they go to one city and stay there and let people come to them. So my whole thing was, I believe it's important, particularly for the growth of domestic club football, and especially when you're gonna have big major European teams come out like Chelsea, Barcelona, uh, Lyon, you know, Bayern Munich was over here in the Women's Cup. You know, when you have big, these big global teams come over, I think you those teams have fan bases everywhere. So it's not just that Portland Thorns players come and our supporters come and they'll fill the stadium. It's that if you put Chelsea out there, Chelsea's going to draw a giant crowd. Manchester United is going to draw a giant Manchester United crowd. And pretty much any major city... And not even, maybe not even major city. Like it doesn't have to be New York or, or Los Angeles, even though I think those are two really good options. But you have people who want to see these players and these teams perform. And I think it would be great for women's football if we had multiple hubs that could support women's football tournaments like this. And I believe we have them. We just don't ever get to experience them because usually the default selection is Portland. I'm putting my hands up. That's all I was saying. So, well, first, I agree with your sentiment. Um, I also saw some tweets that I completely agreed with of like, no, like, com- completely no shade to the West Coast. But when you're coming from 
Europe, that is like a that is a long ass flight. <laughs> Going right? from somewhere like London, Barcelona, all the way over to like Portland, Los Angeles. Like I know it's preseason for these European teams, but like <laughs> that's a long ass time to be on a plane. Um but also with this, it's kind of it's to me it's really, really foolish to keep having it in Portland for the reason of oh, well, you know, a lot of fans are going to come out. And it's like, okay, well, let's look at the men's side of the competition. Obviously, different fan bases. A lot of people who watch men's soccer who don't like women's soccer for terrible reasons. But they can, like, you can go and have a whole bunch of crowds, like, not only in, you know, MetLife or FedEx Field or um, down in Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte, or, like, even if you're like, hey, uh, we want to have a bunch of fan of women's soccer. Like, there are there are a whole bunch of places where you can come and have these teams play and still get really, really good attendance. I mean, you're telling me, especially for a lot of these, like, Eng- you know, English-based teams, so Manchester City, Chelsea, you know, Man United, Arsenal, like, they have huge, huge fan bases in the U.S. And they also have, like, for a lot of these teams, they also have dedicated U.S. social teams and things like that. You're telling me that if someone was like, hey, we're going to have Arsenal play Chelsea at Red Bull Arena, that a whole bunch of people aren't going to show up? Like, what type of nonsense is that? Like, the the whole crowd argument, I'm like, okay, fine. If you won last year, that means you get the, like, you get, let's say, first dibs on where it gets to be hosted the next year. Okay, fine. But the argument of, oh, well, they need to play in Portland because Portland has such a huge women's soccer community. Like, yeah, that's fair, but they're also huge women's soccer communities in other parts of the country facts and listen i don't want no more smoke like i had all the portland smoke i need today uh i'm just saying like i think it's an objective i think it's an objective good to have it in different places and i think if you're looking at it from a you know what's best for women's football what's best for you know these european teams when they come over particularly what you were saying with the flight issue i think that is a very long flight like if I'm Chelsea or one of these other European teams, I'm like, yo, let's uh, under 10 hours, please. I have <laughs> been on a plane for 11. I mean, technically I've been on a plane for 14 hours. It is, that is just a long time to be up in the air. Yeah, it, it really is. And, and and especially in preseason when when players aren't quite, you know, they, they haven't gone through all their fitness yet. They don't have their fitness all the way up. You know, they're not as, you know, in they're not as fit or as in form or shape as they would be normally during the season. They're working themselves to it. There's just a, a number of reasons, I think. And, and it's and for me, it's not even a thing like Portland should never have it. It's just that I believe that Portland should have it because at times they do have you know, they do have good attendance of the games. I believe there are a lot of women's soccer fans there and they do show up and that's great. But that to me, Portland is not the only place where that is true or that can be true. We just haven't seen it. And that's kind of my only thing is that I think it should be part of a rotation or at least, you know, you have a bidding process with multiple places and you just make sure you never do it in the same place um, two years in a row. That's it. That's really all it is. It felt benign when I said it. And then I got like so much heat and I was like, yo, what is happening right now? Like, obviously, and I don't want to frame it like that because a lot of people agreed, which I felt like it was a benign enough thing to agree with. But then I understood, like, there are other things that happen and, and Portland does get, you know, some of the fan base does have a reaction to people criticizing them. And I understand where it comes from. But honestly, like, this is a thing where I feel like if you remove some of that and you just look at it objectively, you're like, yeah, I get it. It's probably best for this 
big international tournament that gets a bunch of eyes on it that has European powerhouses come over. And honestly, those are the main draws because it's in the middle of the NWSL season. If you want to go and see the Portland Thorns play, you can go every, every week. They play every week during the season. So you can go and watch them. You want to see the Washington Spirit, you can go and watch them at home. <laughs> you want to see the Washington Spirit, can't go and watch Chelsea. They're, they're not going to be there. You know, and, and women's football fans, as, as we saw, particularly with the complete the change in the venue for the NWSL championship game, we all made our way to Louisville. Like we were like we were there. Like it was it was sold out. It was live in there. It was great. So football fans do travel, and particularly when they get a chance to see their favorite team, I just would like from time to time them to have to be able to travel somewhere else besides Portland for the WICC. Again, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, uh, I mean, to me, it's not a it's not a hugely contentious thing to say. And I mean, and it's like not even saying it from like a okay, we both live on the East Coast. Um, and I mean, I particularly have beef with Portland's weather. It has nothing to do with the people of Portland. It's literally the weather that missed bad for my hair. But like, I don't know. I feel like especially thinking about trying to get like the growth of the NWSL, um, not only like the growth of the NWSL and expansion and things like that, but also, I mean, technically this is kind of in the back of people's heads, mostly mine because I work in men's soccer most of the time. Um, thinking about like the, 2026 world cup and you know choosing venues and all of these things like i don't know there are ways there are really great ways to activate fan bases in other places yeah and, and again it's not a coasting like yes obviously i would love for it to be an audi field like that would have been so cool because it's you know right up the street like it's cool i go there to cover the spirit but even like if it was in california like Dope. We got two new California teams. That'd be dope to have it at the bank or have it somewhere in California. You know, that would be awesome. So, you know, it's it's just, I don't know, it's just it, it's just one of those things where I think, you know, the, the more we get into thinking about what's best for domestic women's football, because that's really where things need to grow, you know, because we, we've seen that, you know, that's really what helps things in the in the grand scheme of things. Like we've seen the league in Spain grow and develop. And you see that Spain national team has grown and developed, you know, same with England, England's WSL has gotten really, really good. And you see players like Lauren Hemp and, you know, Jess Carter was out there balling at, at, uh, at right back. And she's also, also played center back. She's had really strong defensive games for them. And that's directly because she's been, she's had that WSL experience and going up against some really, really talented players. So I think strong domestic leagues do help benefit you know, you're the national teams as well. And that's one of the things where I think women's football is, is a little bit lacking. So it's important to be able to get the energy into domestic football, particularly because you don't always have an international tournament like the Olympics or a World Cup, and you need to maintain that energy year round. And domestic football is the only thing that does that. And for me, it that like that's what I look at. That's why I'm so big about a club World Cup, because I think it would be the best help, the thing that would help in many, many countries the growth of women's sports. So anyway, off my soapbox on that. I have one last thing to add. Okay, go ahead. And then we'll, we'll take a break and then we'll get to our black history month shout out. Cause I'm really excited about it. You can't tell me that we have to go all the way across the country to watch Trinity Rodman dunk on Millie Bright. <laughs> oh, it's no. possible. It's spirit versus Chelsea. It's possible. Look, this is oh. all I'm saying. <laughs> You're saying we couldn't get that at Audi field. Oh my God. I didn't even think about that potentially happening. Oh Jesus. You're telling me we couldn't <laughs> see that at Audi Field. Oh God. <laughs> On that note, I, 
I need a break to recover. Um, <laughs> we'll be right back with our Black History Month shout out. I'm struggling. All right, and we are back. We're about to delve deep into one of my favorite segments. It's actually a segment. Oh, we haven't announced this yet, Andre. It's a segment that is here to stay on Diaspora United, because as we mentioned at the top of this podcast, Black history is forever and always and happens every single day. So there's no reason why we shouldn't be highlighting someone very, very important in the history of Black women in soccer. So, of course, in the transition uh, to Melanated March, one person that we had a shout out, not fully the reason why this podcast is, exists, but honestly, one of the main ones. Oh, yeah. We're shouting out our Lord and Savior, Crystal Dunn. Amen. Crystal Dunn. Truly what to say about her. Spectacular, like, mind-breaking. Just what a fantastic soccer player. And I have some stats for y'all, because y'all, y'all know I like the details. I love just laying it all out for you. Now, this is a long one. So hold on to your hats because the amount of notes that I have about Crystal Dunn is ridiculous. Crystal Dunn, native of Long Island, specifically Rockville Center, New York. She graduated high school in 2010 from Southside High School. Now, I have something. You think, oh, Crystal Dunn is such a spectacular player. Y'all, it goes back literally to when she was a youth in high school. Let me tell you some things about Crystal Dunn in high school, because it's honestly, it's getting to the point where it's dumb. How many awards she got, like records she broke, just all the things unreasonable at the high school level. Not only was she a four-year starter at her high school, and she was a captain of the team in 2008 and 2009, she led her high school team to the New York State Championships in 2006, 2007, and 2009. She only missed a 2008 campaign due to what? Oh, yes, a national team commitment. Yeah, she was balling out then. The squads that she played for in 2007 and 2009 went undefeated. Undefeated. And ranked number one <laughs> in the nation. Yeah, two undefeated high school seasons. at the bar. Like, absolutely unreal. Her team in the th- in the three seasons that she was there since she missed in 2008 in the three seasons keep that number in mind three seasons that she was there her team only lost two games <laughs> yeah two games two two t w o two games it's unreasonable in the three year in three years Andre we were I was like screaming about this in our pre-production and I'm about to scream about this on the podcast in her three years. She scored 46 goals and had 35 assists monster 46 (laughs) goals and 35 assists. Literally. It is absolutely insane. And like, look, I'm going to be talking for a while. So just hold on to your hats in 2009 in the state championship. She scored four goals. Yes. A hat trick in the first (laughs) 20 minutes (laughs) championship game hat trick in the first 20 minutes. Truly. How dare you? Uh, some of the accolades that she received in 2009 she re- uh, received NSCAA ESPN Rise and Parade Magazine uh, High School Player of the Year she was uh, or sorry High School All-America 
She was the New York Gatorade High School Player of the Year in 2009 as well. As a senior, she was named Newsday Long Island Player of the Year, Nassau County Class A Player of the Year, New York Sports Writers Class A Player of the Year, BigAppleSoccer.com Youth Player of the Year, and winner of the Mike Clark Award for Best All-Around Athlete in Nassau County. She was first team All-State and All-Long Island 2006, 7, and 9 only missing out in 2008 because she was doing what? Oh, yes, going to play for the national team. Uh, she scored, so talking about her at the youth level on the national team, she scored the game-winning goal against Me- Mexico in the 92nd minute in the qualifying tournament in Trinidad and Tobago to send the U.S. to the first ever, oh, yes, first ever U-17 World Cup. And when she was there, she got a silver medal. So, you know, no big deal. Uh, on the... For club soccer, she played for the Albertson Fury 91, which won the New York State Championship, State Cup Championship in 2009. And then from there, she went to North Carolina Chapel Hill that I will not, I will talk about, but I don't want to talk about it because go who's. However, in 2010, in her freshman season, she was the team's leading player in points, which is like a fun little college system, including nine goals and eight assists. As a freshman. As a freshman, she was also the first freshman ever to win the ACC Defensive Player of the Year. I'm going to say that one more time. She was the first freshman ever to win the ACC Defensive Player of the Year. She was also the second Tar Heel in a row to be named at that role. Uh, in her freshman season, she was also tapped as ACC Freshman All-Team, a semifinalist for the 2010 Missouri Athletic Club Herman Trophy, a.k.a. the Herman Award that we all know so well. And she was first team for top drawer soccer, and she was an all-rookie team choice and also won National Rookie of the Year. It's insane. In her subsequent season, she had three goals and six assists on the season for 12 points. In 2013, she won the Herman Trophy, and she was also named ACC Athlete of the Year and ACC Defender of the Year. A two-time, truly, two-time Defender of the Year. Oh, yeah, and then uh, in her, oh, she missed her sophomore season because she was also going to play for the national team in just spectacular fashion. But in the subsequent year, Andre, she won yet another ACC award. Do you want to know what the that what that award was? Tell me. She was named ACC Offensive Player of the Year. Oh yeah, <laughs> let's let's talk about that one. So her second ACC uh, Defensive Player of the Year award the year before, and then she goes, oh, okay, let me go win the Offensive Player of the Year award. The subsequent season, where she not only scored the first hat trick of her collegiate career, and she was a team's top scorer with 14 goals, including six match-winning goals, one of which you know, happened that to UVA. versatility team. is absurd. You're winning defensive d- defender of the year, and then you turn around and win offensive player of the year? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like, she is so ridiculous. It is like, excuse me? Truly, excuse me? What, do, like, what are these, what do these words mean, friend? Friend, how... I mean, it's like, it's not, how did you do it? But also, how did you do it? So moving on, she was picked, or she was drafted number one overall in the 2014 NWSL draft to the Washington Spirit in, uh, had a pretty good first season. And then in the subsequent season on August 1st, 2015, Crystal Dunn scored the franchise's first ever, first ever hat trick, scoring three goals in the first half of the Spirit's victory over the Houston Dash. And then you're thinking, hmm, 2015, what an interesting year. Is that a, was that a World Cup year? Oh, yes. Was that the year that Crystal Dunn was left off the World Cup roster? 
And you want to know what she did instead? She said, (laughs) F you, Jill Ellis, in U.S. soccer. So instead, she decided to score 15 goals, giving her the NWSL Golden Boot and won the league's Most Valuable Player Award. And then she became the youngest player to win both awards at age 23 and broke the league record with her 0.077 goals per game average. My favorite revenge season, maybe of all time. Like she just said, oh, bet I'm not good enough for that squad. Watch this. I I personally don't think there was ever truly a better revenge season of, hey, I'm just going to score 15 goals, get the league MVP. Oh, yeah. Become the youngest player to win both awards at age 23. And then I'm just going to go and break your little record. Just going to go and break your little record. Truly. Oh, also, one thing I forgot to mention. Crystal Dunn was the first player to win the ACC Player of the Year honors three times since who? Andre, do you know the last player who did this? I do not. Mia Hamm. <laughs> first, <laughs> first player to win ACC Player of the Year honors three times since Mia Hamm in 1993, the birth year of my older brother. I'm telling you, her stats are ridiculous. Ridiculous. Going to her time at the on the U.S. Women's National Team, she's made 123 appearances, scoring 24 goals and notching 19 assists. She has won one World Cup. She is a two-time Olympian and is a one-time Olympic bronze medalist. Actually, I'm call her a rose gold medalist. Why? She deserves it. Also, Andre, one thing that she has done uh, in the Cockcraft Women's World Cup qualifying tournament, she did what? Oh, yes, she won the golden boot. I don't know how U.S. Auger said, mm, golden boot winner in a tournament. You know what we're going to do? Put her at left back. <laughs> Just the dumbest decision making ever. Literally the beginning of my origin, villain origin story. I think this is honestly my number one. It's my number one that takes the cake. Just like she needs statues. She needs all the things. They should never be allowed to to forget this. They should always feel complete and total shame when they think about what they did. Because, oh my God, like you have one of the most unsolvable midfield and offensive talents and you put her at left back. Like, truly, 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 how dare you? But Andre, to wrap it up talking about our Lord and Savior, there are some, there's one last, there are two last stats that I want to tell you about. Um, Since Crystal Dunn returned to the NWSL in 2018, she competed for six league trophies. She's won five of them. And actually, since that <laughs> tweet was tweeted, she's actually competed for seven league trophies and won six of them because that one was tweeted before portland got the nwsl shield in 2021 so i'm just going to give you a rundown of some of the little things that she's won in the nwsl with the north carolina Courage. she was a back-to-back nwsl champion in 2018 and 2019 and also a back-to-back nwsl shield winner in 2018 and 2019 with the portland thorn she's won the 2021 nwsl shield and the nwsl challenge cup and again with the U.S. Women's National Team. She's won the She Believes Cup four times, 2016, 2018, 2020, and 2021, is a World Cup winner of 2019, and a rose gold medalist in the 2020 Olympics. Please bow down to our Lord and Savior, Crystal Dunn. I have said it before, and I will say it again. She is the best soccer player, men's or women's, that this country has ever produced. It is an outright shame that U.S. soccer did not recognize that and allow her to star in roles and the positions where she is best at. 
I will never let that go. I know I'm a broken record on this, but I am sorry. It is one of the most frustrating and annoying things and frankly, heartbreaking things for me because just thinking about how differently things could have gone, thinking about how good she was, she has been in her entire career and how they never gave her opportunities to do it consistently in positions that were her best. In fact, she then, I mean, highlighting her ridiculousness is that she then said, okay, fine. If this is what I have to do, if I have to excel at this position to be on this team, I will. And she just made herself into a, a dominant, a very good left back. That is anybody who's played any level of soccer, but particularly who has played professional soccer, will tell you, you don't just be... A, a terrific forward, a terrific attacking midfielder, and then suddenly snap your fingers and become a great left back. And it's like, if you look at the arc of her career, it looks like that's exactly what she did. I know it took a lot of hard work and she's disgusted openly about how difficult it was, but I, I just like, that still is one of the crazy, she should have never had to do it, but she did it. And the fact that she did it and she won a World Cup with being the starting left back against so many of the dominant wingers that we saw the U.S. women's national team have to face was just absolutely incredible. I'm not going to delve into it, but I'm just saying we didn't even talk about Crystal Dunn at Chelsea. And about Crystal Dunn going from one of the brightest attacking talents this country has to molding herself into a left back. I just want her to have the energy of... From one of my favorite movies, which is Legally Blonde. And you and Elle Woods get to Harvard <laughs> and they're like, what? And she's like, what? Like, it's hard? I hope Crystal Dunn has the energy about going <laughs> from being a spectacular attacker to be like, oh, yeah, I'm just, you know, one of the leading left backs in the entire world. What? Like, it's hard? I want that energy for her. I hope she has it. Yeah, she is current. She tweeted that she is currently and has entered the third trimester of her pregnancy. So we are absolutely excited for her, happy for her, um, done and in the oven. her and the baby the best, the done in the oven. But my my stat for you about Crystal Dunn, I think this. I I don't know if this is actually going to blow your mind and get the reaction that I want, but I hope that it does because I think this is one of the most ridiculous stats, particularly given everything you just read. Do you want to know this stat? Okay, I'm ready. Crystal Dunn is 29 years old. Everything that Courtney just said, she has accomplished, and she is still not even 30 yet. If she does nothing else, she is still one of the most, still for me, the best player the U.S. Team, the U.S. has ever produced. But also, when if she comes back, I don't want to ever see her for the U.S. Women's National Team at outside back again. Never put her in again. the midfield, put her in the attack. She is young enough. She's still talented enough to get in to get in there and be a significant factor. It will be incredible to watch her play with these young the, the younger group of players. And I believe they all and I know that they all look up to her and Kristen Press. Like I want to see that happen. One, so my heart can explode, and two, so I can cackle at the pure like evil of it all unfolding against whoever the opposition will be. Truly. Well, I mean, look. I'm not shocked that she did all this from 20 before 29 because we also know what it takes to be black women in soccer. You really do got to be twice as good and don't even get half the Max. recognition. If any other, if any, if Crystal Dunn was white or any we'll other white it. player had her we'll accolades, they would be made. They would probably put up a statue in her honor. Absolutely. There would be no question of how are we going to 
get Crystal Dunn to fit into this team. It's how are we going to build this team around Crystal Dunn? I mean, you don't even need, like, the only evidence you need is look at what they've done with Lindsey Horan. And I think Lindsey Horan is a great player, but she didn't play much during the 2019 World Cup when she played in the, um, and that was one of the things, like, people were really upset about with Jill Ellis. Like, you have this really good player sitting on your bench, and she didn't play much um, in that World Cup. And maybe we saw a little bit why, because of positions where she might have had to play uh, for that team. But in the 2020 Olympics, which was played in 2021, didn't look all that great in the sixth position. Again, she is a very good player when she can play her game, but if she's asked to do other things, it's not quite there. But you also look at that and you see that U.S. soccer has already crowned her, and she doesn't have a fraction of the accomplishments that Crystal Dunn has. A fraction. Not a fraction. I'm still brokenhearted that it was very hard for me to see Crystal Dunn play at Chelsea. If, if anyone is listening to this and has clips old game tapes if i could get my hands on a jersey i'd probably die i would actually decease you know how andre said he would give his life for cat i would give <laughs> my life for a crystal dunn chelsea jersey oh yeah absolutely absolutely especially because back in the back in those days those chelsea jerseys were fire i think those are still the samsung days yeah th- those were those were fire um i have another stat Ooh, what's that another stat linson ran is 27 she's gonna be 28 in may are you <laughs> <laughs> i'm so mad i'm so mad i don't know why i thought she was like 25 i really didn't expect her to be that close in age but that is hilarious i I also thought she was 25 and andre i'm so mad (laughs) i'm so mad are you kidding me that's wild bro that makes me want to walk straight into the ocean i'm i'm actually so mad now (laughs) like i'm actually so mad this is my new i didn't even come up i mean i have stuff for heated but this is my new heated (laughs) i was getting to say this is a great transition we can just roll into heated and hype so you can get it off your chest i can't believe y'all did this to crystal dunn she is 29 and is such a spectacular i mean i completely agree that she is the best player that the u.s has ever produced and the fact that she had to contort and conform herself to fit in this national team instead of y'all building the national team around her (sighs) i'm just gonna riot uh, I'm like so mad that I don't even know how to t- how to speak because the age difference between her and Lindsay Horan is one year and the amount of shine Lindsay Horan has gotten who yes Lindsay Horan is a great soccer player but it's crystal motherfucking done I'm so mad I am so tight about this I wasn't even going to talk about the other foolish things like the NWSL not releasing the schedule or how I'm a little tight that <laughs> Turner has dang World Cup rights but <sighs> Andre this is this is officially. I know I said it, but I I might have to go into my villain era just just over the fact that they are basically a year in age different and the shine and treatment they've gotten from the national team. Vastly different, night and day, absolutely night and day. It makes no sense that you had a player as good as Crystal Dunn and you have a player who is very good, like Lindsay Horan, and they said, you know what, we crown in her, we crown in her, and and fine, fine, but. Crystal Dunn, why is she a left back? You know what I mean? Like, like it's still, those are the, uh, yeah. I mean, it could honestly be my heated too. Like, I will never, like, if any, like, I if any time I'm struggling to come up with a heated, that's going to be it. I'm just going to rant about that again because it should never be forgotten. I will, I will never forgive them. I'm just simmering, steaming, simmering. All of the, the cooking words where something is just slowly fry, just like s- slowly frying in a pot death me right now truly how dare you how dare yeah. you i'm so mad 
God damn, I'm so mad about this. <laughs> so I'll, I'll go with my heated, and I think uh, hopefully uh, by the time I'm done, you are ready to um, transition into being hype. Maybe not given the subject matter, but you know what? We're going to see. Um, my heated is Euphoria. All right. Now, I'm going to caveat this with saying I love the show, but there are some things in the finale, and sorry, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, don't listen, because I might touch on some things or mention some, like, I'm not going to break it down, but I might say some things that happened. And this isn't really like the show was bad. This is just, or the finale was bad. This is just like, that show messes with my emotions. Like, it is such a, for me, it is such a, like, intense show. And the storylines and the character development is so good that, like, you get enthralled in it. And, and like, I've been on a ride. Like, every single episode just completely, like, takes your emotions and just puts them, like, it, it in a in like a the like a spin cycle and then says is at the end uh, just says here you go you can have these back and you're like what do I do with this like I, I don't know what to do with these so like I I was upset about some things that happened some people who you know it was hinted at you know in the episode prior I'm upset that that happened but I think what I'm most upset at and what's got me most heated is that today I saw a tweet that said that. Uh, Euphoria is now the second most watched HBO series behind only Game of Thrones. And I was super into Game of Thrones and that last season really hurt me. Like it bothered, like to my soul, it hurt me because it was so terrible. So I, and this is a Game of Thrones spoiler, so if you haven't seen that, just fast forward. But I tweeted, this sounds like hopefully Rue, I said something like hopefully Rue doesn't forget about the Iron Fleet because that was one of the things in Game of Thrones where the writers were just like, oh, she forgot about it. And it was the dumbest thing ever to try to explain a, a decision that didn't make any sense. And then somebody mentioned Lori because that whole thing just fell off and I saw the parallel and I didn't want to see the parallel and my heart sank. Now, obviously, this was not the, this was not the series finale, so they got time to get into that. But I was like, why did you do that to me? Why did you put that in my brain? I, I was trying to make a joke and then all of a sudden it became real. You know, sometimes you just like clowning and then all of a sudden it's like, not for real though. It's like, no, no, not for real. Not for real. I don't want to, like, I'm sorry I brought it up. That's what I had. And and I, I don't even know if that's a heated. That's just me being sad. Unfortunately, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't watch Euphoria. I tried getting like, watched the first two episodes and I said, this is heavy on my heart. This is, I was like, this is a lot. I'm going to go watch Bob's Burgers. <laughs> well, I, I respect that decision so much I'm not gonna lie <laughs> shout out to Jean and Linda my two favorite characters also Tina honestly all of them <laughs> um all I had to do was to simmer myself was go back on Crystal Dunn's Instagram and watch her uh do Instagram like my older sister did in uh 2011 and 2013 which honestly kind of made me cackle so I was like okay I guess I'm less mad uh what i am hyped about honestly if i'm being my most honest self i don't really have a lot to be hyped about i'm trying to find an apartment in new york and it's dang near impossible while trying to juggle all of my other things so <laughs> i'm not like i'm not not very hyped about things i can't lie there's uh not a lot that's really exciting me nowadays but i will say the one thing that is giving me like little sand granules of joy is the fact that it is, it is officially March. Spring is almost here. It is almost time for me to transform back into my favorite form, which is, as one of my friends uh, coined it, a sunflower child, where I just go outside and I'm having the greatest time of my life because it is warm and sunny 
and thus I am just automatically happy. Like, oh, and oh, I haven't read the new. I have not read the story about the WNBA yet. That came out from uh, Sports Illustrated and Howard Magdal today. But the WNBA season is almost upon us, which means I'm about to go back to Barclays, support the New York Liberty, drag Jenna and Adriana there with me, drag some other friends. I'm queen of just being like, come on, we're going to Barclays to watch Liberty. Um, we will be masked up because COVID is still out here. But I am a little bit excited about that. Not too excited yet because it's like, there's some time, but things are almost happening. Spring is almost here. That means summer is almost here. I'm actually not excited for summer because it's my birthday and I realize time is passing too quickly for my brain. But warm weather, I'm very excited about that. Andre, what are you hyped about? You know what? I like that. Warm weather too. And and yeah, that 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 Howard McDowell story is bonkers. Like I I just I've been I honestly it could have been my heated because it just made me uh, again actually, you know what? Again, just like the euphoria thing, but it just made me sad. Like it just made me sad. Like there are still people in it and they're like as progressive as we we view the WNBA as progressive as um you know we we believe that that league is and is they're a model and they still are but they certainly have some absolute dinosaurs in that league office uh, or with the general counsel and they got I mean my god they absolutely not like to me that's bounds for like you you can't have decision making power here like the, the stuff in that article is just bonkers but this is hype so I'm good at my hype and you know what my hype is it's euphoria again. Told you I was going to balance it out. Like, what? I, yeah, yeah. I, I told you, this is what this show does to me. Like, I get hot, I get my emotions, and then I get real hype about it because you reflect on it and you're like, you know what? This was, and I know people got criticisms of the writer and yada, yada, and I'm not deep into it to know like personal things about the writer. So I really have no idea. Uh, but I do trust in Diane. I think she's done an excellent job with her role. Uh, a tremendous job with her role. I think she's done a good job with anything behind the scenes as far as writing. I believe she's also an executive producer on the show. So like it has other influences and I believe it deserves to be hyped up. But like this season, despite some of the people point out some plot holes and like I did before, I think if you look at it, the season, the 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 show is really about relationships and people. And you just see those evolve and move sometimes in frustrating ways, sometimes in really concerning ways, Sometimes in ways that make you scared for a character or somebody that you don't, this is fake, but you feel like you know them. And then sometimes it's just beautiful. Like you have these beautiful, soft, tender moments where they're sad, but they also hit you right in the feels. Honey Nut Filios, shout out to those. Uh, but yeah, I just, <laughs> I just, I just was like, I felt, I felt good about this season. And I was really like, I didn't know where it was going to go, but I was just like, yo, this is, this was a fun experience to vibe with, to go through. I could have done with less of Elliot singing, but that's fine. Uh, it was it was still a very very good. That's the one thing I overall. know about is the singing. No, yeah, I, I don't. I, like honestly, he hit like he, when he came around at a chorus like a second time. I was like, "Fam, what are you doing?" <laughs> the the mechanism they used in the last two episodes was one of the one of the characters who kind of moved to the periphery because there was so much other drama going on and she really put on this like play production which was hilarious because it probably had like a million dollar budget but like that whole like that production was just incredible they just did a really good job of melding that whole thing and i thought it was super super effective so like yeah i, I was hyped about this season of euphoria good it, honestly, it's good to be excited about TV. TV can like. <laughs> that was a great reaction. Good. Good for you. All right. I didn't mean to be shady like that. It's just sometimes TV can like really ruin you. And I feel like HBO has 
consistently done like foolish things especially with their like big serialized dramas i mean i'm mostly thinking about like probably succession and uh game of thrones both of which i've only seen bits and pieces of but i feel like a show that's actually you're like oh yes i do feel good about this that's good like beautiful things it's almost spring the challenge cup is almost upon us kind of it's coming kind of yeah we we saw we saw they have a broadcast schedule they don't have any NWSL regular season schedule out yet, but, uh, you know, one thing at a time. <laughs> one thing at a time, <laughs> NWSL release that schedule so people can plan when they want to go travel and go to games. It's, I mean, it's you know, sometimes you want, uh, if you want people to show up to your games, you got to tell them when they're going to be. So, you know, seem, seems, seems, seems to be a thing they would want to do soon. It's not hard. Well, that's been it for this episode of Diaspora United. Happy Melanated March. Facts. Happy Melanated March. Also, I will say Happy Women's History Month, but it also is still Melanated March. So truly happy Black Women's History Month. And also tweet at us your favorite Crystal Dumb moment. Whether we're now, oh, if, you get a, if you get a clip of it, a gif gif, because people have strong opinions about that, I don't. It's gif. Look, I truly don't care if I'm being my most honest. <laughs> don't care. That's not one of my strong opinions. Uh, yeah, but tweet us your favorite Crystal Dumb moment, because she deserves all the shine all the time. Facts. All right, you have anything else to say to the people before we get out of here? Uh, protect trans kids. Shout out to black women and women of color. It's also Women of Color's History Month. But protect trans kids. Donate to BWPC. That's it. Amen. And we'll talk to y'all next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to Diaspora United Podcast. Please subscribe and rate and review us anywhere you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Diaspora United Pod. That's Diaspora U-T-D-P-O-D. And message us if there's anything you want us to talk about in our next podcast. See you next time.